You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Um, So as you have no doubt have seen the news, you've been watching the news lately, you've seen that Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip territory are currently at war. This war started a couple weeks ago when Hamas, which is a terrorist arm of the so-called Palestinian people, killed 1,200 Jews and took 220 people hostage, many of them elderly and children. Israel has responded swiftly, declaring war on Hamas. This is not just a, they've had skirmishes before, they've had retaliations before, but Israel has declared all-out war on Hamas, launching air assaults on territories in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Hamas terrorists have hidden their weapons, supplies, and rockets in places like hospitals, schools, and civilian areas. And despite warnings from uh, the Israeli government to the Gaza Strip region telling civilians to get out and to leave because they're going to be bombarding that area soon, uh, Hamas and their government has told the civilians to stay. And as a result, because of those bombings, 7,800 Arabs have died in the conflict so far. As tensions continue to escalate, many world leaders are taking notice and are weighing in, pressuring both parties to negotiate peace and a ceasefire. This conflict has captivated not only the imaginations and the attention of the world, but also if you've turned on Christian television or if you've watched YouTube, there's no end of teachers right now who have put a renewed attention and emphasis on uh, end-time prophecy and particularly on what's going on in Israel. Uh, some out of, um, you know, some have done so out of a, uh, a sense of urgency. Uh, some have jumped to conclusions about what it means. And so it lets people think, and we, a lot of people are kind of going through their mind about, well, what, what does this mean? What is going on? Uh, are these the end times? Now, if you don't know what the phrase the end times means, it means the times and seasons before the eventual return of Jesus Christ to earth and before Judgment Day. Um, and so people are kind of fixated on that and wondering, what is this all about? Is this the beginning of the end? Uh, are these things that will happen are they eventually the, the rumblings and the beginnings of Armageddon? Um, and are these the things that will herald the return of Christ? Uh, some have used this time to teach the scriptures clearly. Others have jumped to conclusions about what this all means. So what I wanted to do is just take one message before we get into our missions focus for November and really kind of take a look at what Jesus had to say about what the end times will be like. Because that was a question his disciples asked. And I think that, you know, if we should ask anybody about what the end times are going to be like, we should probably ask the one who's the central focus of the end times, right? We should probably focus on Jesus and what he said, what will happen in the world prior to his coming. And so let's take a look at it together. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And I'll encourage you to just turn there. Hopefully you have a Bible and you still own one or you still use it. Uh, Here's a sign that you don't use it very often if you open it and it creaks. Like it's brand new and make that sound. You're not using your Bible nearly as much as you should. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24. And let's take a moment and pray and ask God for him to give us wisdom, insight, and revelation. Amen? So Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and a heart to respond to what the Spirit is saying. Holy Spirit, we pray that you give us revelation, understanding concerning your word. May it draw us closer to Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8. Let's take a look at it together. And uh, if you have a pen handy, I'm going to be giving you a list of things that Jesus said were going to happen before he would return. And so, like, if you're ever wondering, like, well, what needs to happen? Is it today? Is it going to happen now? Um, There's a lot of people that are very alarmed and saying, well, this is that battle or this is this prophecy of Scripture. Um, The truth is that's not always the case, okay? But if we look at what Jesus had to say, we'll stay focused on what is true and what is right, and we'll have a pathway there for us. So take a look at verse 1. And it says that Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out the buildings of the temple, he answered them, You see all these, do you not? I Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. All right, let's stop there for a moment. You have to understand that, like, um, end-time prophecy has gotten a lot of attention going back 30 years or more. And if you were raised in kind of that environment, you were kind of conditioned with a, a sense of expectancy and then kind of a sense of disappointment too because every teacher had a, their theories about when it would happen, the day that Christ would return, who would be the Antichrist, all that sort of thing. And for the uninitiated, a person who is unfamiliar with the end times might say, well, it's very confusing and that would be correct. And for others, they would say, well, it's so scary, I just don't want to think about it or focus on it. Listen, my message today is not meant to scare you, Okay. It's to prepare you. Um, If anything, we should always remember that we are looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And anything that tells us that he's coming soon should give us great anticipation and hope. Because he is our hope. As bad as the world is around you, our hope is still Jesus. And he's the one that's going to right every wrong. He's going to judge every misdeed. And he's going to set everything straight. So we have that to look forward to. We need not approach it with fear and trepidation, but a hopeful and prayerful expectancy. So what is that list, and what are those things that Jesus said would happen? Number one, first and foremost, that many false Christs would come and lead people astray. Now the word for Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. Now the word Messiah usually means Savior or Deliverer. Jesus warns that there'll be those who come along to promise to be the world's savior, to be the world's deliverer and conqueror. There will be people that come along who make big promises and appear to have solutions for all the world's problems. It will seem like those people, when they come along, they will have an answer for every problem, a solution for every problem, and what they do will succeed. Now, the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 13, that a false Christ called the Antichrist will actually have help from someone called the false prophet who will perform supernatural miracles that will deceive many. 
Jesus even says that it's so possible that even the very elect would be deceived. Now, when it talks about the elect, it always speaks of those who have been chosen by God to be the recipients of salvation. So as a Pentecostal, as a charismatic minister, I love miracles and God's outpouring and the moving of his spirit. But we should caution ourselves when we are looking at just the miraculous as the only indicator of whether what the person is saying is true or not. Because it says in in, uh, Revelation 13 that there will be a false prophet who performs lying signs and wonders that even people who believe will go, hey, maybe they are sent from God. We need to be aware of what they're saying in addition to what they're doing. Just because they're doing something doesn't mean that what they're doing is necessarily from God. So this man will appear to be humanity's savior. Everyone will love and follow this person. He will even claim to be God or be sent by God. And Jesus cautions his disciples not to believe them or follow them. In fact, whenever you hear someone talking like this, you need to be very wary of people like that. That's the first thing. Secondly, there will be an increase in wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdoms will rise against kingdom. Wars are nothing new to our world. They've been present since the beginning of time, but there will be an increase in the amount of wars and conflicts taking place around the world. We're already seeing wars now. We see the war that's ongoing in uh, the Ukraine. We see the war that's currently going on in Israel. But there will be wars not just around the world, but in the Middle East particular. Whenever you see things going on in the Middle East, conflict, um, wars, rumors, tension in the Middle East, know that uh, the same nations that uh, were threatening King David and the same nations during the uh, fight with Babylon, those same nations and regions around there, they play very heavily into biblical prophecy and they have the modern day counterparts. So if we look at Babylon, we know that Babylon is modern day Iraq, okay? So you can make a correlation between the two. So anytime there's something going on in the Middle East, we are to pay particularly close attention because that plays into Bible prophecy. Now Jesus uh, uh, was walking with the disciples when he makes this teaching, and the, the disciples were remarking at how beautiful the temple was, how ornate the buildings were, and how uh, gorgeous the structure was. And Jesus says to them, says, uh, be aware of this, that what you, these buildings that you see in the temple Uh, Not one of them will stand upon another. They will all be torn down. Now, Jesus was speaking prophetically regarding the siege of Rome that would take place in A.D. 70. In A.D. 70, uh, to put down uh, the the rebellion that took place uh, in Israel, uh, Rome sent the Roman general Titus uh, to suppress the rebellion in Israel. And so severe was their attack of Israel that they went into the temple, they took out all the, uh, the sacred items from the temple. In fact, if you go to Italy, there's something called the Arch of Titus. And if you look at the Arch of Titus, you will see uh, carved into that stone the conquest of Jerusalem and Roman soldiers carrying out the, the, the large lampstand, the menorah, from the temple and taking out the, the sacred things from the temple. And what Titus did is after the temple was destroyed, it says that they burned the temple to the ground. Now, what happened with the temple was very interesting, that they had a a gold overlay on the top of the temple. 
And when the building burned, all the gold melted. And the gold melted and it kind of got in between each of the stones of the crevice, crevices of that structure. And, and the Romans wanted that gold. So what they did is they smashed the building, they pried the stones apart, and they scraped out that gold and took it with them as their spoil. So Jesus is predicting the fall of Israel, the fall of Jerusalem, and the uh, destruction of the temple. But there's also a prophecy by the Apostle John in Revelation that indicates the kingdoms of this world will gather against Jerusalem to make war. It says so in Revelation 13, verses 13 through 16. The armies of the world led by the Iron Christ will gather in the valley of Megiddo to battle. And then Christ will return from heaven riding a white horse and bringing the armies of heaven with him to defend Israel in their hour of need. The point is this, anytime you see war or conflict in Israel and in Jerusalem, we should always sit up and take special notice. And if you start to see other nations becoming involved in that war, you should be on high alert because it, it will be a war against Israel that will trigger Armageddon. And Jesus warns them, he says, like, be aware of these things. So here's the thing, so we see this conflict of I- in Israel, we see Hamas fighting against Israel, Israel fighting against Hamas. If you start to see Iran get involved, or Egypt get involved, or Saudi Arabia, or other nations getting involved, every nation in that region has its ally, right? Everyone's connected. We talk about people that are connected with certain nations. Russia's connected with Syria. We're connected with Saudi Arabia. We're connected with other uh, nations of the world. And those nations are in uh, alliance with each other. So if there is conflict in Israel and people say, I'm going to get involved in that, it starts to involve more nations and more world powers to the point that there could be a massive battle in the plains of Megiddo to determine the fate of Israel. If that happens, know that the Lord will return in that moment to put a stop to it. Number three, there'll be an increase in natural disasters and hunger. It says there'll be famine and earthquakes in various places. So there'll be an increase in natural disasters and human suffering. They will increase in intensity and severity, not because of global warming, but because of God's judgment. We've heard of hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions before, but these will be much larger in scale than anything anyone has ever seen. We're seeing earthquakes now that kill thousands of people in an instant. You know, 2,500 people, 7,800 people being killed instantly by these earthquakes. We see wildfires that rage out of control in Canada and Hawaii for months on end. We see flooding in Ghana. A few months back, you saw flooding in New York City where even the subway systems were completely flooded. Why? Because of the increase of evil that's being done. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.22 that all of creation, in other words, the world we live in, is groaning like a woman in childbirth, longing to be redeemed and restored when Christ returns. God even told the Israelites, he says, listen, I'm taking you out of captivity in Egypt, and I'm bringing you to the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. And he says, as long as you follow me, you will be blessed, and everything you do will be blessed. But he says, if you turn to wickedness, and if you turn to idolatry, he says, the land will vomit you out. Now, that's a really disgusting picture. But what is he saying? He's saying that the, the land won't be able to handle your wickedness, and there will be turmoil in the creation that God created because of the way that they are acting. 
Jesus tells them that these signs are like birth pains of a woman who is about to give birth. In other words, to indicate that these pains will usher in and indicate that the coming and uh, arrival of Jesus Christ is at hand. So these things must come, as scary as they are, in order for us to know that he is coming. Verses 9 through 14. Look at that with me. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because of lawlessness will be increased, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what's the fourth thing? The fourth thing you'll see is that there'll be an increase of persecution of Christians. It will become harder and harder to be a Christian in the world we live in. Now you might say, I'm in Massachusetts, it's pretty hard to be a Christian here anyway. Or you might be in Connecticut and you say, it's pretty challenging to be a Christian in Connecticut. You want to move to Florida. You want to move to Tennessee or South Carolina or North Carolina. I get it. I get it. I've thought about it myself, okay? So, but it's going to be even more hard to be a Christian. Even in America where uh, this nation was founded on Christian values, those values are already starting to shift. We'll experience what Christians in other parts of the world already experience, which is persecution. People who live in countries where Christianity is the minority already experience mistreatment, loss of jobs, poverty, imprisonment, torture, and even death just because they're a Christian. Jesus even went so far to say that brother will betray brother and deliver them up to death. Now it is possible that if things get to that place in the the world we live in, in this country, that in the face of persecution and threats to fellow believers, it is possible that believers will crack, crack under that pressure and turn on other believers and turn them over to prison, persecution, and death. If you don't think that that could happen, all you have to do is to rewind back three years to the thing that we won't name because we're tired of hearing about it, right? Do you remember three years ago? Do you remember your neighbors calling the police on other neighbors just because you had a family gathering? Do you remember about people losing their minds because you weren't wearing a certain piece of fabric over your face? Do you remember people just turning on each other? Have you even thought about the fact that there may be uh, members of your family that still don't talk to you because of what happened three years ago? If you don't think that it can happen, I think that that was a dry run for what is to come, if you ask me, okay? We saw glimpses of that three years ago. They saw it in Nazi Germany that due to fear of the secret police, neighbor would betray neighbor if they knew that they were harboring Jews in their house. In 1950s America, you could get your neighbor investigated by the FBI if you thought that they were a communist. So it's surprising and disappointing to see what lengths people will go to to make their life more comfortable, and especially when their interests are at stake. This persecution will affect not just neighbors, but family as well. In some Arab nations, if a family member comes to Christ and leaves Islam, it becomes a dishonor to their family, and that family will actually gather together 
bring that member of the family out into the street and either stone them to death or put them to death as an honor killing because they have dishonored the family by turning away from Islam. We're not there yet in this country, but Jesus is warning that the day could come that if people are threatened with their own safety and security and have to turn you over, they may just do that. Disturbing thought, I know. Number five, what else will happen? Wickedness and lawlessness will increase. It says, because of the increase of wickedness and lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is not speaking to the world, but it's rather speaking to Christians. Remember who asked the question, right? Jesus' disciples. They asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus teaches his followers, his uh, disciples, Christians, what will happen. Understand this, that the world's behavior will keep getting worse and worse. If you think that the world is getting worse, guess what? You are right. <laughs> Things are pretty bad right now, but they, can you imagine a time where it will get worse? It will indeed happen that way. There's an increase of what is permissible in our culture. Good is called evil, and evil is called good. And there will be so much of it that the, in the world that we live in that Christians will either become callous to it, tempted by it, or so grieved by it that they will just give up hope. Some, it says, even some will forsake their first love, their love for God. Now, how can you tell if your love for God has grown cold? Okay? Uh, Here's some ways you can tell. If you are no longer convicted of sin, then chances are your love for God is growing cold because you don't want anything coming between you and Him. If you don't care any longer about the unsaved or the unchurched and whether or not they find Jesus anymore, then your love for God may have grown cold. If worship no longer excites you and going to church is a bore and a chore, then perhaps your love for God is growing cold. It's the very thing that Jesus warned the Ephesian church about in Revelation chapter 2. Listen, the Ephesian church was faithful They had endured hardship. They had done good works. But something happened with the Ephesian church that Jesus wanted to mention. He says, you've forgotten your first love. You do all these things out of tradition, out of duty, out of obligation. You've been faithful. You've you've held up the test of time. But you're not doing it because you love me anymore. He actually goes so far as to say, turn and repent. So how do we turn and come back to what God has called us to. How do we turn back to that love for God? He says to that church, repent, turn back to him, and do the things that they used to do for God. Spend time in his word. Spend time in worship. Spend time serving others. Get back to doing the first things, and your love will be restored. Number six. There will be signs in the heavens, verses 29 through 31. It says, Of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in great power and great glory. And we send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
another sign will be of the end times will be signs in the sky and in space. It says the sun will darken and the moon will stop giving its light and the stars will fall from the heavens. Everything that once was normal about the life that we have will suddenly become abnormal. Even when the skies and space show their changes in the way that it runs. Whenever there's an eclipse of the moon or sun, people take notice. Whenever there's a meteor shower or, you know, something changing in heavenly bodies or whether it's uh, the northern lights, people stop and they take notice and they're very fixated by it. They're entertained by it. But things are going to happen in such a way that it's going to actually cause some great confusion, anxiety, and disturbance. The difference is that this time it will cause distress because it will appear like the world is coming to an end. Now, Revelation goes into great detail about the kinds of signs that will take place in the heavens. It talks about the sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood, meteors falling from the skies, uh, skies being devoid of stars. But the reality of these things happening will be unavoidable. It will be impossible for the world to ignore what is happening. But there is good news, though, right? You know, as we read that, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we fixate on the bad, don't we? And those things are pretty bad. Maybe even as you're, you're reading this, you're going, wow, this is really heavy. This is really dark, you know, and I don't disagree with you. And you might even go to bed tonight, and you might fall asleep, and you might, like, in your bed, like, have dreams of these things and be troubled by these things at night. But, like, think about what the end of that says. What is that verse, how does it uh, cap off? It says, it says, and then the Son of Man will come on the clouds in great power and in glory. And it says, a trumpet will sound and the angels will gather his faithful, his elect Christians from the earth and take them up into heaven to be with Christ. That's an exciting thing. Can I share with you something else that's exciting as well? The good news is that even though these signs are terrifying to behold, it says that God will gather up his chosen ones but before that and while these things are happening, there will be signs of great revival. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, in, Jesus, uh, sorry, in Peter's uh, message on the day of Pentecost. Now, if you're not familiar with Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost is, the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the church was empowered to be witnesses for God in all parts of the world. In Peter's message, when people are going, wow, this is crazy, and if you've ever been to a Pentecostal church before, you've never been in Pentecost, you're like, wow, this is crazy. And people are like, they're drunk, they're out of their mind. And Peter gets up and preaches to the people and says, you know, this is what the Old Testament scriptures in Joel talked about. And he says this, and in the last days, or in the end times, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Wouldn't that be great, right? If your sons and daughters prophesy? What about your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams? What if, like, the people in your family, what if the believers in your family, the young and old, are saying, I, was, I had this dream and I, God spoke to me, or I had this vision and I saw the different things. How exciting that would be. It says, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Or in some cases, the word prophecy means to preach. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, 
blood, fire, and vapors of smoke, and the sun will be darkened, and the moon turned to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do we see? Lining up exactly with these signs in the heavens and preceding them, we see a great outpouring of God's Spirit in which God starts to use people in a powerful way and people come to Christ. That every person will be used. Even down to the, the, the servants in households will be used by God in mighty ways and every believer will be able to declare and preach the message of Christ. Just as these signs are appearing, uh, declaring the coming of Christ is near, there will be many who believe. And even though the times and the seasons are scary, there will be great revival that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're not to be frightened by these things. These things are frightening. Listen, growing up like in this is like the, the, the reaction that the people in the church would have is like, make sure you have extra canned food for Y2K. Right? Extra beans and rice, right? Make sure you have at least two extra weeks of provision. Make sure you hide. That's not the picture of the church, though. The picture of the church is not that we are to be the first cowards that run in the face of difficulty, but we are to be at the forefront saying, see these things that are happening in the world that we're living in? His coming is at hand. Now is the time to believe. Now is the time to turn to the Lord. And for us as Christians, it should be all the more pertinent for us to be ready. It should be all the more imperative for us to recognize that there will come a day where Christ will return, and we don't know the day or the hour, but we're to be ready for that. Understand, too, that like these things are indicating that, and Jesus said, you know, once this gospel of the kingdom is preached everywhere to every creature, then the end will come. So what does that mean? I, I've been asked, I was asked a question on Thursday night, like, does that mean that, will people get a second chance after they die to believe? And the answer to that is no. Because God's given you so much time for your life. You, what you do with your time is entirely up to you. But once your time on this earth is over, all decisions are final. Okay? It's not like a college student who goes, hey, I know that the deadline on the syllabus was Monday, but can I get an extension until Tuesday? There are no extensions in eternity. Eternity is the ultimate extension. There are no ends for that. So, like, you need to make a decision now who you will follow. What Jesus was saying is this gospel will be preached to everyone. Not that everyone will believe. Everyone will get a chance to hear it once, at least once. And when that last person hears, then his, the end will come and he will arrive. And he will, because everyone will, will, there will not be a single person on this earth that will be able to say, I didn't know. When everybody stands before God, everyone will have the chance to say, I did hear it and I refused it. I did hear it and I didn't think it was important. I did hear it, but I thought I had more time. The imperative thing is that we have to recognize that there will be people, there will be scary things that are happening, but there will be people that come to believe in Jesus and God will pour out his spirit. So what will the end look like? Yes, it will be frightening. Yes, it will be unsettling. But we'll also see a powerful outpouring of God's spirit, the likes of which we have never seen. So much so that even previous revivals will pale in comparison. 
That's the age we're living. Do you realize that's the age we're living in today? That we are the people that will see this mighty outpouring take place. And uh, we will see the things that the patriarchs and the prophets and King David long to see. And you will see them with your own eyes in your lifetime. So what should we do then? Should we panic? Should we buy more dry goods? Should we uh, start fighting with each other about different theological perspectives? What should we do in light of what we see? Should we be fearful and afraid? No, we should be vigilant and watchful. But I want to give you three things that Jesus uh, tells us to do by virtue of when he goes into uh, chapter 24 and 25, he continues to teach on this. And he says, okay, be ready. All right, so three things that we need to do as we see um, the return of Jesus coming, as we see what seems to be the end of the world unfolding before us. Number one, first and foremost, get right with God. Jesus used these teachings to warn us of what was coming and challenge Christians and believers not to lose faith because only those who are truly Christians will make it. He talks about those whose love will grow cold, those who will betray brothers into death and the need to endure until the end. In fact, if you read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, there's a familiar phrase that Jesus uses for each church at the very end of each letter to each church. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give. What does that mean? You can't overcome unless there's resistance. You can't overcome unless there's going to be a fight or struggle there. To him who overcomes, to him who endures to the end, they shall be saved. Now more than ever, it's important for you to decide who you will serve. It's all the more important to make sure that our calling and our election and our salvation is sure. The world to come has no place for half-hearted Christians. So it's all the more important that you make sure that you are living for Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Sometimes we kind of say, well, I'll get right later. I'll do the right things later. I'll clean up my life later. We are not guaranteed later. So don't wait. Get right with God, first and foremost. Secondly, be ready for Christ's return. Jesus continues this teaching to the disciples by sharing parables. If you read chapter 24 and 25, he shares a bunch of parables that seem like they don't have a lot to do with what he's talking about, but they really do. He talks about a thief that comes in the night unexpectedly and breaks into a house. Or he talks about a bride and groom showing up in the middle of the night while the bridal party was sleeping. Or he talks about a master who went away and left his servants in charge of his vineyard and how he unexpectedly arrives and that those who were lazy and those who took advantage of and those who got drunk and those who didn't care, he said to those he punished severely because they abused his good graces. So what are we to do? We see these examples. We see the parable of, of the talents, and we see the parable of the sheep and the goats. What are we to do? We're to be prayed up. When we see these things happening in the world, be prayed up. Say, Lord, I pray for Israel right now. I pray for the, the peace of Israel. Or you start to see things unfolding in the nation that you're living in. Uh, instead of resorting to arguing on Facebook and political activism, uh, why don't we pray for our nations? Why don't we pray for revival? Why don't we pray for God to do something? Be prayed up. Be ready to serve. 
and be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to do good and tell others about Jesus. One of the great things about this end time revival is that you can be a recipient of that. That you can be a catalyst for that. So the question that all the parables ask and the thing that Jesus is asking is, are you ready for my return? He could come back at any moment. Are you living every day to please God? And do you look forward to his return? I can't emphasize this enough. Be right with God. Be ready for his return. And thirdly and finally, be responsible with what Jesus has given us to do. The one thing I notice is that we have a job to do. The parable of the talents, the master servants were given a responsibility to grow what had been given to them. In the parable of the sheep and goats, God rewards those who did good in his name, but those who did not care about the less fortune of the world were cast into outer darkness. Jesus even said that while he was on earth that we must work for God while it is still day because night, the end, is coming when no man can work. So God has given us his good news. We are the recipients of salvation. He has given us the great commission. Matthew 28. 19 and 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to be obedient to this command that he's given us. It is our responsibility to be part of that, and we must listen to what he says. How else, let me ask you the question, if no one did this, how else would we see revival? How else would we see people come to Christ? How else would we see good done in the midst of evil? How else would there be a voice of morality in the world when there is so much immorality? How else? Unless Christians, instead of hiding in a basement or moving into the woods and cutting off all of your connections to social media and say, I'm safe here, what if we were out in the world that we're living in, still speaking, still proclaiming, like John the Baptist says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness Declare the way of the Lord. It's only if God uses us and if we're ready to take responsibility for what he's given us as a job to do. He's bestowed upon us the talents to use and to multiply for his kingdom. So are we right with God? If not, are you going to do that today? Are you ready for his coming? Are you looking forward to it? The early church did. Are you taking the responsibility of the Great Commission seriously? Do you look forward to these things? Or are we just looking at self-preservation? God has called us to great things. The end of the story is like any great novel, that it looks like all is lost until the hero comes on the scene and turns the tide of the battle and victory is won. That's how it ends. The end of the story is not all the difficulty and the tragedy and the natural disasters. It's just a sign to wake up the world we're living in and to wake up his church and say, he's coming soon. Be ready. Like the bridal party that's waiting for the arrival of the bride and groom, be ready for his coming. And the way that we're ready is that our heart's right, we're looking forward to his coming, and we're doing what he's told us to do. We can't sit on the sidelines anymore. So where are you at today? How are you looking at the things that we're going through? You know, it can be very easy to get distracted with everything else 
And sometimes we as Christians, we get concerned, is my way of life going to be affected? And that's the wrong question. It really is. Because your way of life may very well be affected. Yeah, but what about our wealth and our rights? Yes, you should fight for those things. But understand that that's the thing that will be the catalyst for people to want to betray others for. I could lose all this. So if I lose all this, I don't want to lose all this. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And that's the thing that will be used to betray brother against brother. Church, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for the day that he comes. It's not something we're to be afraid of. It's something we're to be aware of. And we're to be prayerful, even as we see these things unfold. So can we do that today? Let's bow our heads. And I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask the people watching at home, are you ready for his coming? Is your heart prepared for that day? If Jesus were to show up at the end of this service, right before coffee hour, would you be ready for his coming, and would you be one that is going with him when he comes? It's a real frightening thought, isn't it? It's a sobering thought. And if it does cause you a little bit of unsettled uh, feelings in your heart, it should, because that's what Jesus designed it to do. So are you ready? With no one looking around with their heads bowed, maybe in this time between you and God. Say, Pastor, I don't think I'm ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready after you could say that, just raise your hand. I don't think I'm ready yet. Just lift a hand up. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm not ready. Not ready for what's to come. The good news is today you can start on the path back to him and be ready. So if that's your heart and that's your desire today, know that the Lord welcomes you with open arms and says, follow me like he did to the disciples even after they all abandoned him Still on the Sea of Galilee after he was resurrected, he still said to them, follow me. So follow Jesus even now. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of your gospel. We thank you, Lord, that we have a hope in you. And Lord, that we should be eagerly looking forward to your arrival because, Lord, we will see you face to face we will see you victorious and triumphant over the forces of darkness. You will right every wrong in this world. So, Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to be ready. Lord, I pray for those that maybe haven't quite given their heart fully to you. I pray today that this moment that they would say, Lord, I choose to follow you. I will not uh, be torn between the world and you anymore. I choose to follow you completely and wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be about your work of the kingdom and that we wouldn't allow ourselves to become complacent or lazy in these end times because people need to hear you. Lord, we look forward to many coming to know you and being saved. We look forward to the outpouring of your spirit, but that won't happen unless your people earnestly desire to follow you and are obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you'd help us to do that today. Move us, Lord, to compassion move us to action and help us to love serve and follow you and we look forward to that day just like the early church used to say maranatha come quickly lord jesus we ask this in jesus name we pray. thank you for listening we invite you to join us sunday mornings to worship with us 
We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.